we all, in the course of a lifetime, face a variety of crises. But what psychology has taught us that um, should be very encouraging is the power of uh, post-traumatic growth, and that those challenges can actually lead to far greater wisdom and greater adaptation, greater, greater good sense in conducting our lives. Hello, and welcome to the podcast with Dr. Wally, a fresh view on gospel living. For today's episode, I dug into the archives again for a conversation that we recorded in February 2020. Wally, why don't you introduce the the book that we're going to kind of be, the concept maybe of the book we're going to be discussing. Yeah, I I love the thinking, the work of Roy Baumeister. And he, along with John Tierney, has written a book called The Power of Bad. Not the kind of title that would normally grab your attention, (laughs) The Power of Bad. But, but what psychology has discovered is that we tend to react strongly and quickly to bad events. And let's give some examples. Um, if, for instance, you get up in the morning and step out of the door and it's a beautiful day and the birds are singing and the sun's on your face, that may evoke a pleasant sensation, but no strong reaction. In contrast, if you step out the front door and find there's a saber-toothed tiger is thinking that you would make a lovely addition to its diet, then you'd have a very strong and immediate reaction. Very strong. So so our whole bodies and minds are trained to have a very strong automatic reaction to to bad events. And and some of the sociobiologists would argue that's very adaptive. It's in part because of that that humans have survived. Because when bad things are threatening we react strongly, and uh, we act in ways that preserve our lives and the lives of those we love. We worry about all kinds of threats, from you know vitamin deficiency to auto accidents to on and on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have we have turned up the volume on a whole host of threats, while having far fewer threats to our lives and well-being. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the the subtitle of the book? I know we were talking about it earlier and how how that kind of sheds some more light on the topic, at least for me. Um, yeah. The power of bad, and then what, what does it say underneath? How the negativity effect rules us and how we can rule it. I like that last part. When we're aware of the negativity bias, then we can um, be more mindful. We can take action. We can... We cannot be victims of those impulses. And those impulses are often fed by people who might benefit from them. For instance, the the, uh, mass media are the most uh, maybe famous example. Mass media make money by keeping us afraid all the time. Sometimes when I'm driving along, I see a billboard about some new special on local television. I think, wow, is, is, um, is that... Uh, problem really the wor- the biggest thing we have to worry about today. You know, sometimes it's about some school problem or some law that passed or something like that. And they are irritations. They're a little bit of sand in our shoes. But but in terms of saber tooth tigers, uh, they aren't. They just aren't. Yet the media uh, is crisis oriented and keeps us and um, keeps us focused, keeps our attention by by always um, pounding the drum of, uh, of some kind of terrible crisis. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So how, when, when we kind of step back from it and we look, I mean, I'm just thinking of my own life, um, you know, the ways that I've, I've allowed fear to kind of come in and rule a little bit. Maybe should we start with like kind of how it, how it affects us personally and then maybe move into relationships? Is that one yeah, way to go that about makes it? Sense. Yeah. Okay. So um, the way it affects us personally, um, the power of bad, we, we all in the course of a lifetime face a variety of crises. But what psychology has taught us that um, should be very encouraging is the power of uh, post-traumatic growth and, and that those challenges can actually lead to far greater wisdom and greater adaptation greater greater good sense in conducting our lives. So instead of uh, dreading and fretting and worrying about and avoiding challenges because of any threat of problems, we do better to, to live life, live it sensibly, but live life, live it joyously. Um, we say in our family, grab it by the ears and kiss it on the lips, you know, <laughs> just grab life, embrace it. And, and when we do that, then um, when bad things arise, as they will, then we find ways to create growth as a result. Wow, that kind of, just hearing you say that, kind of makes me think about the title of the book a little differently. Like the power of bad, if we if we get sucked into it and we you know subscribe to all the fear and all of that, like that's one power. But if we allow the challenges and maybe the, the bad things that kind of come to our doorstep, um, that it can change us for, for the good. The power of bad, it could go either way. Yeah, if we frame it in in terms of life purposes and maybe put a theological spin on it, we, we, have, um, we have that famous statement that must needs be that there's an opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, the word is opposition, but it's re referencing opposites. It, it, it's absolutely necessary that there be opposites in all things. And... Um, Along with peace, we also understand discomfort. Uh, all, along with closeness, we understand conflict and distance. And uh, those, those experiences can lead us to make decisions that ultimately um, improve our lives. I like that. That is good to keep in mind as, you know, as we turn on the radio in the car and we hear all the mm -hmm. things going on in the world. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how we want to say it. It can affect us individually as if we recognize that challenges can make us better people. Um, and then moving into our relationships, it can help our relationships. So can you talk to us about that? Truly. Like in, in the area of, of marriage, we've talked before about the idea that five pauses for each negative is the rule that governs healthy relationships. That in healthy relationships, there are at least five positives or Gottman might even say there are five positives for each negative. Sometimes having just all positive isn't good because there needs to also be that correction. But but think about it this way. Uh, Scott Stanley says that you can do the kind of negative that uh, erases 20 positives. He calls them zingers. Mm -hmm. and, and so controlling the negative is a very impactful way of keeping that ratio right. Mm -hmm. now, of course, some would say you could move to a different country and then you don't have to worry about positives and negatives. And that's, that's not a very good way to create intimacy um, by living continents apart. But, but if instead we're very conscientious about 
not letting negatives creep into our relationship, not blowing up about little things. If if we're really good about that, then um, it's a lot easier to maintain that very high positivity ratio. I like that. The five to one, it's it, sometimes it feels really daunting to try to go for it. I mean, growing up, I, I always remember hearing the, the, sand, the com, what do they call it? The compliment sandwich where you say oh. something kind and then you give the correction and then you say something kind and that's two to one, right? Or uh-huh. two, isn't that right? Two mm-hmm. positives and one. So five to one really takes some, some effort. That's a daggered sandwich. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Um, yeah. And even, they, they do talk about the sandwiching in this book and say that's that's not what they would recommend. They mm-hmm. they actually suggest that you that you be really clear about the negative. I mean, sandwiching sometimes tends to minimize it. Whereas if you say, um, this relationship is really important to me, there's something I think is a problem. And uh, if you're able to hear it right now, I'd like to describe that to you. And you describe it in fair and direct ways. But it's all in the context of this relationship is valuable, and I think there's so much good we do together, um, but we can be clear and direct about it instead of acting as if the uh, thin slice of bologna in the middle won't even, uh, it, it, it cannot hold its weight against those thick slices of bread. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe what we want to do is... Um, Say, when, when it's time for us to process something, let's process it. Let's be upfront about it. But let's not make it come out of um, just conflict and carelessness. Let's not let it be the result of contempt when we start looking down on the person, either because we're just um, feeling rotten ourselves or because we have let ourselves feel rotten about our partner or both. Um, instead of letting those corrections come in a carefully designed and thoughtful way. Uh, we can let them blow up and do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. So being deliberate, thoughtful, um, taking into account what the goal of, of, of it is. And really, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that when we're giving, you know, some kind of correction or, um, feedback in terms of how the relationship is going it's really because we want the relationship to be to be better Mm. as opposed to i just want to cut you down i just want to hurt you with this zinger and so that's the context and when it's in you know framed in that way then it's a positive it can be a positive thing for the relationship um you you mentioned a quote in the book you said when the world gets better we become harsher critics of it Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to read that whole I wonder if I can, section. Uh, I can find that quote. I, I think sometimes because we are so focused on the negative, that's exactly what happens. We, um, yeah, here's, here's a statement. And they're quoting Gilbert here. When the world gets better, we become harsher critics of it. And this can cause us to mistakenly conclude that it hasn't actually gotten better at all. Mm-hmm. Progress, it seems, tends to mask itself. Um, so many of the good things in life, we um, they just become background, and we don't think th- think about them. We're always at that frontier of something new, and um, and we overreact to the new things that are bad. We overreact to the new things that are bad. Say that last bit again. Yeah. So we're always out there on the frontier. I mean, 
things very quickly uh, we habituate to them. They 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 move into the background, and we don't think about them much. Even when we have a, a pleasant home and a happy family and caring relationships and and good social connections, we even when we have all that, um, that pretty soon just is kind of in the background, and we don't think about it. We don't consciously say, "Hey, isn't that great?" That think how good my life is. Um, we're out on the frontier looking for something new, and inevitably that will include some things that are frustrating or disappointing, even sometimes threatening. Hmm. This might seem really random, but as you were talking about that, I was just thinking about our experience as we moved from one house to another house. And, you know, moving, a lot of times you see the the realtor sheet and it lists all the amenities of the home and all of the good things. And I'm thinking this is so great. It's going to be, we're going to have more space. Like our, our yard will be bigger. Our home will be a little bit bigger. We won't be so cramped. And, you know, I'm thinking of all the good things. And then we moved into the house and it's like, all those things are easily forgotten. And now I'm focusing on the outlets that don't work and the light fixtures that I need to. And and I don't know, I'm just thinking about how my own, you know, my thinking even just about my house has Mm -hmm. kind of fit into this vein that we're talking about. It's really easy for me to forget all the good things that I am currently enjoying and how quickly I forget that because I think of the outlets we need to fix. So I don't know. That may say, That's just what yeah, popped up truth. in my head as you were talking yeah. about that. And I know everyone, you know, everyone has kind of their own personal way of how it affects them. But um, even in, in relationships, you think of a new marriage and how when we're engaged, we think of all the good things, you know, in our partner and then how quickly we can forget all those good things when honeymoon phase is over that's why sometimes i find it really useful to have a list of our home projects Mm -hmm. and then check them off and then don't just start a new list with the new projects keep the old list and and every once in a while go down that list and say oh my goodness look at all the things we've gotten done there's so much still to do but wow we've painted virtually every surface we've changed light fixtures we have you know look at all the things that are done Mm -hmm. and how satisfying that is instead we tend to keep ourselves right on that edge of discontent Mm -hmm. about those things that are not yet done not yet finished and and for any of us who are (laughs) afflicted with the the tendency for progress it's like we're always we're always wanting to fix and do better and that can be a good thing but it also like like you're saying, if I'm not careful, it can lead me down a road of feeling really negative about all the things that are not done yet. Do you have any sort of equivalent? Because I like that idea of a checklist with with the home projects. Is is there an equivalent with relationships? I mean, is that kind of know. a weird thought to have? I mean, I'm I'm thinking of um, in my own marriage of things that we've kind of overcome and challenges, and I've never thought to like put that on a list. But yeah. if I were, and if I were to look at that frequently, I could see how that could be really hope hope giving. Yeah. And I know there was a quote in the book, book about hope. Um, here's the quote. Just about every measure of human well-being is improved, except for one, mm-hmm. hope. The healthier and wealthier we become, the gloomier our worldview. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Every measure of well-being is improved except for hope. And, and it's partly because I think we've created an impossible standard you know, we have an idea that life should run smoothly and our kids should do well. And in our relationships, our, our spiritual experiences, we when you're no longer fighting lions, tigers, and bears, 
then you'd kind of expect everything to be smooth sailing. And um, it sure seems like God designed life to keep us challenged, to keep us growing. Um, you know, Emily, I, I think it'd be fun to talk more about that idea of a punch list for our relationship. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm not sure what that would look like. I've never heard that idea before, but I love the idea that maybe uh, whether it's a, a written list or whatever it is, um, we have some way of celebrating our victories, some way of commemorating our progress. Um, and and I know Gottman recommends that we keep pictures of cherished moments, but um, cherished moments by themselves may not remind us of what it took to get to them. Mm, yeah. And that may be just as important as that happy time. I mean, the happy time in Hawaii may have been preceded by maybe some conflict or some saving or some challenges of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, somehow, and maybe that's a work of the soul more than anything else is that in our, in our hearts, we say, you know, we still have little friction points, but um, wow, I just love how we work together and we're united and we care about the same things or whatever the, whatever the positives are. I know in, in our case, Nancy and I are enough different in personality that there have to be friction points. We just do things differently, but our values have become so consonant, so harmonious that both of us, I think in the day, every day saying, this is a blessing. This is just a blessing. There may still be the little negotiations around how we do this or how we decide that, but we still end the day saying, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for for this companionship. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we were younger, we didn't think that friction was a part of a good relationship. We just assumed a good relationship was marked by its mm-hmm. lack of friction. Mm-hmm. That, I think, doesn't seem to fit very well with God's program for growth. No, it's not realistic. And I think holding ourselves to that standard, no one's going to be able to to, uh, succeed. If if our idea of a a, um, successful, quote, successful relationship is to not have conflict, it's just not, it's not possible. So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, obviously with a house, with house projects, it's easy to kind of like line item everything and have a check mark. and, And maybe with our relationships, it looks a little different. And I like the idea of framing it in, um, you know, again, I'm just thinking of my own situation of like, you know, we, we had a son um, in, in the hospital and that was kind of a, a stressful time for us. And, and um, even just other things going on in life at the same time that was happening and how we made it through, we, you know, we got out of the hospital and we did what needed to be done. And, and how I might put that on a list is like, we, we made it through that experience of our son's health challenge. Um, and not that it's completely over, we're still working through some things, but, but that we did some hard work to find some answers and, and even financially, we've had to kind of adjust our budget and all of those kinds of things that that took a lot of effort and negotiating and, um, you know, hard conversations. And, and if I put that on a list and I remember that we did that, that gives me so much hope. Yeah. That gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. And, and that's really post-traumatic growth too, Mm. isn't it? I mean, you've had these traumas as you've dealt with those challenges, but 
but you've gained a new perspective, a new understanding. You understand so much better what's what, and you can put it in a different frame um, instead of it being a very threatening into the world mm-hmm. frame. It's now, um, um, I know what this is. I know how to deal with it and we're coping. Yeah. And, um, I, I guess in some ways that's what happened with our miscarriages. Nancy and I had, uh, over 20 miscarriages and, and over time we came to understand there was absolutely nothing we could do about it. It was an, um, chromosomal abnormality. Um, but, but we could be peaceful about it. We could be grateful for the three children we have who we might not have ever had. And um, and so that post-traumatic growth is partly about making those adaptations, but partly about changing our expectations too. Mm-hmm. Changing how we think about things. And I think um, I think God really loves it when we receive all things with thankfulness. That's mm-hmm. his phrase from the Doctrine and Covenants. Receive all things with thankfulness. He says, he who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious. So um, that's, that's I mean, that tie that back to the power of bad. Bad things can, can make us bitter and discouraged, or they can make us more adaptive and ultimately more grateful. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Are there any other, I know you had several different quotes as we were going through the book. Here's one that, um, for a guy who loves loves studying my ancestors and their stories, here's one that makes me just almost freak out. (laughs) Um, He says that um, this group of scientists has found a direct correlation. The more time that adults spend nostalgically reflecting on their past, the more satisfied they are with the present, and the more optimistic they become about the future. Mm. So so notice um, it's about reflecting in this nostalgic, positive, looking for the good kind of way. When, when we reflect that way on the past, it, it improves today and makes tomorrow better. Isn't that remarkable? Oh, and one way, one way I do that, I have done it for a long time, is is keep a record. Every day at the end of the day, I write down just a quick outline of what happened during the day, but then I make a few entries in the gratitude journal. Those are two separate things for me. And um, when I go back, like for instance, sitting in church on Sunday and I review the past week, and I go, oh my, um, God's been really busy helping us. And then when I sit down Sunday evening and write a letter to our kids and I recap, the ways we've been blessed, sometimes I'm just overwhelmed thinking, wow, I I can now see how all these pieces fit together. I can see how God is moving heaven and earth to bless our little family. And uh, you don't see that, in my opinion. Let me say it differently. I don't see that when I look at a day as the unit of analysis. When I just look at a single day, I think, well, it was okay. There was some good stuff. Yeah, it was all right. But when you put together a week or even a month or a year and you have all that raw material to work from so you haven't forgotten all those good experiences. But when you start to look at all of it, you go, wow. Now let's go back to that whole idea of power of bad. If if we were to say, what happened to you in, in 2019? What happened to you in last year? 
and you were to summarize it, probably you'd think of the times the car broke down or the illnesses or the challenges. If, however, we have kept some kind of record, and that might be a photo record, it might be some kind of journal, it might be, in my case, a month at a glance calendar with an, just an outline of what happened that day each day. When I do that, I go, whoa, God's been busy. I, in fact, I feel really guilty. He's been neglecting all his other children because he's been so busy <laughs> taking care of us. And, and, I, and I did oh, that just God. a couple days ago where I pulled out my year summary, and this went back to the year 2004. I pulled out my year summary just to show what one looked like. And as I went over the list with my friend, I went, oh, my. I just almost began to weep, realizing, yeah, every single year God shows up and packs our years, our days, our weeks, our months with all these experiences that work together in ways that we don't even discern when we're looking up close. But when we back up just a little bit and look at the big picture, if, we, if we've documented it so we can look at it, then we go, hmm, wow. Heaven be praised for all that heaven has done. So I think that fits with yeah. this statement about when we reflect, it makes our present better and it makes our future better. And, and notice part of that comes from choosing to make our past better, choosing to select out of it the gems, the even those hardships. Um, like when I think back to our cancer experience, I think, I just feel so warmly about it. I'm not really anxious to go back for another cancer experience in the hospital, but I remember fondly about Nancy being there day and night, day after day. I remember friends coming to visit. I think, oh, you're busy. You don't need to do that. But it was so sweet to have friends come and sit by our bedside and just be there with us. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I'm not anxious to go back, but I'm so grateful for um, for that experience, and and that's the way I remember it now. I mean, the pain is long since forgotten. Um, most of the inconvenience is minimal, and um, what I remember is sweet, good people, healing doctors, and um, a good life as a result. Mm, I love that. I love that. So I guess we acknowledge that bad has real power. And if we listen too much to the media and listen too much to our fright, then it will take over our lives and it will block out the real purpose of bad, mm -hmm. which is to stimulate growth, to stimulate adaptation, to stimulate learning, and ultimately to stimulate gratitude mm -hmm. as we then reflect on all how all things work together for our good. I love that. Adaptation and gratitude. Those are the two things that I probably should write down for myself that I, I feel like those, those stick out for me. Because the adapting part, I think that's, um, for me personally, I think I've, I've um, I don't know, bitterness isn't really the right word, but maybe I've had some... Um, Oh, what is the word? Yeah, yeah, disappointment. Even of just like, you know, watching my kids have to pivot and mm. and you know and adapt, and really that's a good thing. And I don't recognize that enough. I I I see the challenge in it, and sometimes I feel exhausted by it. 
But if I can recognize the the growth part of that and focus on that, yeah, then that's a lot more um, it's a lot more positive. Yeah. So we end up being blessed by those challenges, don't we? Mm-hmm. And I think too, I don't I don't know quite how to say this, but I feel like because I know you and because we've had conversations, I I want to make it really clear. I don't think you're saying um, to just gloss over or completely ignore the challenge part of it. I don't think there, I know a lot of people talk about spiritual bypassing or, you know, just kind of shoving those things aside and and not taking them into account at all. But I I think, I think what I'm hearing you say is, is recognize the the blessing that can come from it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think it's legitimate to, to acknowledge the pain and acknowledge the, the challenge that was created. Um, but I do think that what we don't do very well today is um, trust God. Now, that may sound kind of silly, but um, do I trust him enough to believe that God can transform these experiences into blessings? Mm-hmm. And that's not, um, that's not bypassing. That's not minimizing. Uh, an honest disciple will say, um, for instance, those uh, miscarriages hurt like the Dickens and were profoundly painful. But through them, I learned a really powerful lesson when I went to God with an open heart. And he taught me. And he taught me really clearly. He said, Wally, you're okay. I love you. And 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 you're going to have three wonderful children. And, and your life will be rich. So let's be grateful for miscarriages. Let's be grateful that Nancy feels less frazzled than she might. I mean, imagine that, I mean, I can't imagine that 25 miscarriages were uh, all resulted in a live birth. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine instead, Wally, the, the blessing of, of having the family that it feels like is just right. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what we would have wanted if we got a chance to design it. Now, we had hoped and expected more children. And we're grateful for the three children we have. Mm-hmm. And um, in the case of those who find themselves unable to have children, I think the right question after, as we wrestle with the pain, is to say, Heavenly Father, show me how this is the ideal blessing for me mm-hmm. in my current life. Show me, teach me, help me understand. Instead, what we tend to do, I think it, I think in the modern era more than ever, maybe, is go to him and say, you've got some accounting to do, big guy. I want you to explain this, because I know you can handle it, and you choose not to. And so you're going to have to explain this to me. And I don't know, that just doesn't feel like that's going to lead to a really productive conversation. Because faith means that I really, truly, fully trust him and believe that um, all things will work together for our good, for them that trust God. But um, only... Only then, only if I'm willing to go to him with that loving, trusting heart. And that's where the refining happens. Yeah. And, and I don't want to minimize the fact that it can take time. That sometimes, for instance, we feel an anger and a hurt and a bitterness that uh, just doesn't seem to go away despite our best efforts. And my recommendation is always um, don't deny it. Don't ignore it. But don't feed it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't keep throwing uh, logs on the fire of hostility. Just leave it alone and be praying. Be praying. Be begging God for a mighty change of heart, 
so that we can return that same relationship and say, uh, man, I'm so grateful for that person. I mean, having experienced it, I know that um, what was once um, hot hostility can be changed to a peaceful understanding and compassion. Mm-hmm. And um, it won't happen as long as we insist that God and others account to us and, and explain and justify to us as if, as if we were God. Mm-hmm. I just don't think most of us are quite prepared for that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Related, that relates to something that, that um, they say about marriage. Um, they suggest rejoice when you hear someone else's good news and, and then apply that to marriage. They say one of the quickest ways to improve a couple's relationship is to train them to celebrate each other's daily victories. So when uh, when Nancy says, hey, guess what, Wally? I got a chance to visit so-and-so. We really had a nice conversation. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm, I'm glad there were no saber-toothed tigers involved in that one. <laughs> Instead, I can stop, just dead stop and say, oh, Nancy. And, and see, with, with Nancy... If I'm wise, I, I go beyond that. I say, I really felt good, didn't it, Nancy? Because I know that she's not going to say, well, that's what I live for. And so I have to, in a sense, say it and say, Nancy, wow, doesn't it feel good when you're out loving and and your great service joins with their great need and heaven rejoices? Doesn't that feel good? And I don't want to over-dramatize it and make her self-conscious, but I do want to be fully present as she describes what for her is um, as good as it gets. Hmm. Hmm. So that's, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking back to the habits that you've talked about so far. So personally, you, you talk about, you know, kind of a brief journaling where you list out just what things have happened. Um, and then you list three gratitudes. That's kind of another habit that you have. Uh-huh. Um, and you're kind of doing the same thing in your marriage. I mean, is that kind of what I'm hearing? I mean, I, this is like a theme of yeah. of recognizing kind of the daily blessings in, in our interactions. That's a good way to say it. You know, and at the end of the day is when you, Nancy and I both catch up our, our journaling efforts. And um, sometimes as we're going to sleep and she's, lying on my left shoulder, uh, I say, so what were your best today, dear? No, I can't say we do that every single day. But sometimes if we don't already know from conversation during the day, I say, what was your best today, dear? And she may list two or three things that happened. And the nice thing about that is, is that um, I may know about some of the good things, but I may be missing some. Mm -hmm. And if I know what's happening in her heart, then I can celebrate it with her. Nancy's a little more likely to know what mine are for two reasons. One is she's more attentive and I'm more outspoken. (laughs) (laughs) Those two things together. (laughs) Taken together, it means she's kind of likely to have noticed when I said, yes, Reese's peanut butter cups are life changing. <laughs> I'm just thinking about you. Well, I just have to say to the listener, Wally Wally has a really great habit of cutting his little his Reese's peanut butter cups into little tiny slices so that he can really savor the peanut butter cup. And that's kind of what you're doing with life. You're yeah, just yeah. taking the small little slices and recognizing. Um, and then the other habit you mentioned was the weekly letter to your kids. So yeah, kind of yeah. a weekly recap of like all the blessings that you're seeing in your family and um, savoring 
all of those. Sometimes when I'm uh, organized, I I write a year end letter, which if I were speaking honestly, I'd say is really a letter to Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. It's really not a letter to anybody else. Sometimes I share it with others, but it's a a letter to Father saying, "Oh my, look what you've done." I can't believe it. I am dumbfounded by what you've done. I am so grateful. And so doing that, um, I don't always, I get the weekly letters written, but sometimes the job of going through uh, 365 or 366 days is daunting enough that some years it doesn't get done and uh, some years it does. And when it does, I mean, I've sometimes written about a predictable process for joy if you're really in the mood for a boatload of joy, then just really dig into the gratitude thing. Go through whatever record you have and start looking for the hand of God. And then make make a little note and start keeping a record. And, um, oh, wow, he's there. And he's doing his job, and he does it really, really well. The variability isn't in how good a job he does, it's in how well we notice. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm afraid most of us aren't very good noticers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is why the kind of the daily, mm-hmm. the daily habit is so helpful because if, if we're not, you know, taking that time to notice, it's hard to, to look back and remember. Were there any other, any other parts in the book you, you'd like to? That's a good question. Let me see if, um, oh, I don't think we talked about this. The authors of this book say, we're convinced that the biggest problem of all, the greatest obstacle to freedom and prosperity is the exploitation of people's negativity bias by crisis mongers. Mm. Yeah. So the biggest problem of all is exploitation of our fears, our negativity, our worries, our sense of vulnerability by crisis mongers. And so whether it's the belief that the failure to get enough uh, vitamin D is going to kill you or that the this disease of the month is going to be your undoing or um, that uh, the failure to get a certain textbook in the school is going to end your child's education. I mean, Crisis mongering is all about turning um, ordinary decisions into life-changing ones. And and very often it's not in the service of our well-being. It's in the service of selling some product. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's the biggest problem of all, that, um, that often our peace, our well-being is stolen by crisis mongers, then uh, maybe, maybe the biggest solution... Um, is not only to reject that, but to to call on God. And and you know that I love I love to just say when I'm faced with more than I know how to handle, which I consider to be a regular thing. I say, Oh Jesus, Thou Son of God, have mercy on me. I uh, am foolish if I ever attempt to do this alone, and so I beg for mercy, because when when you and I um, team up, great things happen. And when I do things alone without God, then those great things don't happen. So um, that's, in my view, the remedy for crisis mongering. I mean, even in commercials, like you said, there are a lot of people are 
stand to gain a lot of money from from us being afraid of one thing or another and so remembering that that's that's really key yeah yeah well this has been fun <laughs> <That's> <laughs> our been annual really... <laughs> podcast uh interview i, I podcast really from the that. tops of the mountains yeah and you know i just um if for the listener will you read the title of the book again and and who who it's by yeah the power of bad is by john tierney and roy baumeister all right so we'll uh, have a link to that in the show notes. And um, I guess with that, we can sign off. Yes. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> Thank you, Wally. We'd love for you to share this podcast with friends and family. We appreciate your support on this project. And if you'd like to hear more from Wally, check out drwally.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>